Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. As a kidney patient or a transplant recipient, you probably know that getting a flu shot can offer the best protection from a serious illness. But should you get it every year? And is it safe to get the flu shot and the COVID vaccine or booster at the same time? Get answers to these questions and more on today's podcast with Dr. Harold Manley, Senior Pharmacy Director at Dialysis Clinic, Inc. in Nashville, Tennessee, and Rachel Bratcher, a patient living with IgA nephropathy. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today. My name is Rachel Bratcher. When I was 17, I was diagnosed with IgA, and in 2020, I went for my annual physical appointment, and unfortunately, I discovered I was in kidney failure, and I did not know. By the time I discovered that, the damage that had been done to my kidneys was too severe and couldn't be repaired. So fast forward to April of 2021, I started what would become about a 15-month journey on dialysis, and on July 5th of this year, I was lucky enough to receive a kidney transplant from my friend and living donor, Haley. But today, I am here with Harold Manley. Hi, Rachel. Uh, I'm, too, very excited to be here today. I really look forward to our conversation. I'm a pharmacist. I've been a pharmacist for almost 30 years, and I've always had an interest in medications. Makes sense and how it impacts patients with kidney disease. I've been working predominantly uh, in the dialysis uh, population, uh, but have ventured out in the uh, patients who are not yet on dialysis over the last few years. But again, I'm super excited to be here and talk about uh, influenza vaccines and their use in patients like yourself. Well, I'm, I'm definitely excited to hear more about this topic because it's something I think that's, it's really important in today's society. Um, and it also, you know, being someone that's been through all the stages of kidney disease, I obviously have kind of learned the importance of vaccinations and really just taking care of yourself and taking those preventative measures. Um, I've been lucky and I had, I've had a doctor that's really encouraged that um, as a young individual, you know, you kind of think, is that really going to affect me? But you have to kind of look at it as a different perspective when you are someone that falls under, you know, having a chronic illness. Um, so without further ado, I do have some questions for you today. Um, I guess what specifically made you interested in studying the flu vaccines in dialysis patients? And then you said now you're even working with those before going into dialysis. I guess I'm just curious by nature. Uh, so I was at a meeting uh, a few years ago and so I, I work for a dialysis um, organization. We're having our annual meeting at the annual meeting, uh, they're saying, and this year we're going to use uh, whatever flu vaccine that we've ordered from our, um, I guess, our wholesaler and our medication supplier. And as medical directors, again, it was a medical director meeting, as medical directors, uh, use whatever vaccine um, that you think is appropriate for your uh, patients. So again, I'm a pharmacist. Uh, I think about medications all the time. And in my mind, I was like, well, why did we use this vaccine, the standard dose vaccine, versus uh, a high dose vaccine with the backdrop that while patients on dialysis, typically what we, we always hear is they have an altered immune function and doesn't work as well as patients who do not have chronic kidney disease or on dialysis. So in my mind, it was, well, more 
probably is better. So high dose is probably better. So I asked, I just asked the question, why are we using this vaccine versus that vaccine, this dose versus that dose? And to me, it was an obvious question and there was no obvious answer because nobody looked at it. So that led to, I guess, a series of events um, over time, because again, working for a dialysis organization, we have our electronic database and years and history of our patients. And we know what vaccines we've gave in the past. We know if they're still our dialysis patients, if they you know, have moved on, got a transplant, if they've died and been in the hospital. So we track a ton of information on our patients for years. So it was a great opportunity for us to look back at our data to see if there was any outcome differences. And we were interested in like hospitalization and mortality or death rates in our patients. And so we just started looking, we looked back at our own data, uh, identified you know, that there may be a difference between the, the vaccines, between high dose and standard dose in our outcomes and brought that information to the, that same meeting like a year later and said, hey, look what we found. We found a trend going this way versus that way where high doses appears to be better than standard dose. However, we should investigate this or again, medical director meeting presenting to the medical directors. We have the medical directors choose what they want to do uh, with their patients, because ultimately they know their patients best. They interact with them on a daily basis or three times a week if they're a dialysis patient, you know? And so we just present information to them. They take it back, internalize it and use it as they see appropriate. So with that scenario, again, with an organization that's highly, I guess, integrated and have a uniform uh, system of data collection and recording, it was a perfect opportunity for us to then look again at our data to say, all right, what happened? And again, it was a, it's a innocent question that led to a series of steps and, and investigations. Um, but ultimately, um, organizationally, I can say that sometimes that innocent question changes practice patterns um, significantly uh, in the population. We used to be about 50% of our patients would get high dose vaccine. Now we're at like 96, 97% of our patients get high dose vaccine. So honestly, hearing that, I didn't, I, I personally didn't know that there were two like different kinds of flu vaccines you could get. So if you are to go just to like your primary doctor as someone who has, you know, like chronic kidney disease has had a transplant, if you ask them for that higher dosage, is that something that they would have available? Yes, actually, it's a great question. So there's two A virus and two B viruses. So there's four viruses, if you will that we're trying to protect individuals against. And each virus component, two A's and two B's each, have either 15 micrograms of a dose, so a smaller dose, a standard dose, or four times that amount. So uh, 60 micrograms per dose. So their standard dose is 15, high dose is 60 per virus, whereas there's one in between, it's at 45 microgram dose. So not only are there different doses, there's different 
ways in which it's made. Some use uh, like uh, egg-based technology, um, so like chicken egg uh, technology. Some use like a recombinant technology, and some use is like a cellular-based technology. So different technologies, different doses. And as a pharmacist, it makes me think, well, why did we choose this one versus that one? And not only this one or that one or, or that dose or this dose. So, so there's different combinations. So you said, do your providers know that there are differences out there in these vaccines? Yes, absolutely. Your physicians that you regularly uh, see, they are familiar with the different types of vaccines, uh, flu vaccines, the different doses. Like for example, somebody who has an egg allergy can't get the egg-based formulations. They have to use like the cellular-based or the recombinant version. So they take in considerations, individual patient characteristics, so they get the safest vaccine for them when it comes to allergy avoidance. And then they also uh, know you as a patient and they think, well, should they get a higher dose or the standard dose? Well, if you're over 65, that's a non-issue. The FDA and the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, recommend all patients over 65 get the higher dose vaccine. For those who are at have like chronic conditions like diabetes, uh, kidney disease, probably get the higher dose vaccine as well because of other medical conditions that they have. It puts them at a slightly higher risk. But for the general population, healthy individual, usually the standard dose vaccine is sufficient. So you think about dose and you think about are there any allergies that the patients may have that they may want to get a cellular base versus an egg base versus recombinant version. Specifically for kidney patients, do you think that they should receive the like vaccine every year? And when I say kidney patients, you know, I'm talking about everyone from who has chronic kidney disease to is on dialysis, has a transplant, you know, kind of all, all stages. Absolutely. So uh, yes to all the above. And actually everyone, regardless if you have kidney disease, uh, should consider influenza vaccination on a yearly basis. We need it every year because the virus does mutate, does change year over year. The formulation that they recommend each year in the vaccine changes slightly year over year. So if you want to be protected year over year over year, then you need to be vaccinated every year. I actually just got my vaccine just a few days ago. Yep. Mine is scheduled for this evening. Um, so I, I understand. Um, I guess, is there, this is always something that I always have conversations with my doctor about, but is there like an ideal time of the year to, obviously it's available in like the fall time, but I feel like sometimes you see it, you know, like at Walgreens, it's already available, you know, in like August and you're still in summer mode and you're not thinking about flu season. Right. So is it necessary to get it in August or can you like wait till it's actually flu season? That is a very complex question that you've just asked. And I appreciate it so much because again, it's to me, this is a perfect example of how a, an innocent question could lead into a whole line of investigation because there's so many nuances there. Are you a healthy, otherwise healthy individual? Have you had flu in the past? Have you had flu vaccinations in the past? What other chronic conditions that you have? When flu is typically seen in your area, your geography, there's a lot of different nuances in it. So what I say to our patients, uh, recommend to our patients is to wait until the end of September 
through the first uh, week, few weeks of October to be vaccinated. And I also say that although it's available in August um, and you start seeing the signage in, in the pharmacies or the commercials on TV that, you know, get your flu shot, uh, we have it available. I think, I think the first message is very good. Get your flu shot. Absolutely. We have it available. That's great to know, but it's still too soon to get. So end of September, early October is probably best from our perspective because you give the vaccine to somebody, it takes about two weeks for you to be maximally protected from that vaccine. But once you're maximally protected, over time, your antibodies are going to decline over time because that's just how it works. You need to have a certain antibody threshold in your body to have protection against the flu. So if you get it too soon, your antibody levels decline over time, they, they may be insufficient towards the end of the flu season. So then you have to think timing-wise, when is it best? So September, end of September, early October, you have, so that means end of October, you're having your maximal level of uh, influenza. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, tracks influenza year over year. And over the, I guess, last 40 flu seasons, they've showed that flu has a presence in November, but it has a major spike in prevalence in February. So if you vaccinate in end of September, October, you're kind of protected for that November surge and you have your high antibodies still through that February time period. But if you shifted earlier, say you got vaccinated in August, you may not have the high amount of protection that you need for that February surge. So that's why we recommend end of September, early October vaccinations. It's like hitting the sweet spot for protection. Yeah, it's all things I've had to like really think about since kind of going through such intense health issues. How long do the high levels of antibodies last? Most flu studies look at, we give the injection, the vaccination, and we'll check 30 days later to see if they, if a patient has an, a response to the vaccine. Majority of the studies out there only look 30 days. So that was actually one of the questions that we wanted to answer in our study is, well, what happens at, on day 31? What happens on day 60? You know, what happens afterwards? So we um, followed patients for an additional four months afterwards, and we saw the decline over time. So as we would anticipate the antibody levels decline over time, how long they last, you know, we're looking at it again, you know, six, seven, eight months, maybe where they project, but it's really hard to, hard to really say. And it's not so much how long the antibodies last is how long do they last above the threshold that you need? Because some patients, we can measure antibodies. They have low level antibodies in their body all the time. It's just they just need that booster every year to get that with the flu vaccine to get it above the threshold that we need. Is there anyone that you don't think should receive the flu vaccine for some kind of reason? No, I honestly think we're all eligible to receive the flu vaccine. Not because I'm a pharmacist. I think medications, you know, uh, are the next best thing. Actually, we work really hard to make sure patients do not get too much medication because too much medication could be harmful for patients as much as not getting enough. But using that mindset, I can't think of patients who 
should not get vaccinated. So I am a truly a proponent for vaccination of all patients, realistically. So kind of going off of that, I have a lot of conversations with friends who are also young and they're like, I'm young, I'm not going to get the flu, I'm not going to get vaccinated. How would you approach that conversation with someone, especially being in like my position as someone who just had a transplant very recently and, you know, we're about to go in the flu season? So no one can predict who will get the flu. However, regardless of age, if you get the flu, not all individuals end up have, being hospitalized, going to the emergency room or, you know, uh, heaven forbid, you know, die because of the flu, but it can happen. Poor outcomes associated with flu could happen to anybody, any age. Risk factors for poor outcomes like hospitalization, emergency room visits, and, you know, mortality or, or death. As we age, there's higher risk. As we have other chronic conditions, there's higher risk. So should everybody, I guess, be vaccinated? Again, I, I don't change my mind. The severity of the of the illness and the duration of the illness would be less in those who are vaccinated versus who are not vaccinated. So although you're young and if I get the flu up, it'll be okay. Well, if you get vaccinated, it would still be okay and it'd probably be even less bothersome to you. So my kids are vaccinated. I make sure they're vaccinated every year and they're otherwise healthy. Right. No, I mean, I've, I've gotten the flu shot for as long as I can remember. And basically that was kind of before I had like health issues. That was kind of my parents' like thought process as, you know, when I was a kid was, you know, you may not get it really bad, but someone else around you might like when we go to visit grandma um, and, you know, having those conversations, like, especially my age with, with friends and family, it's like, I, you know, it's important for them to get vaccinated. So I feel like I'm protected because like you said, I can't predict if they're going to have the flu in a few days. Um, so I, I completely resonate with that. But like I mentioned before, I'm getting my flu shot tonight and I just had a major surgery. I'm obviously severely immunocompromised still at this point. Is there any reactions or side effects that I specifically need to look for? That's another great question. So when I think about Remember, there's different types of vaccines out there, high dose versus standard dose. So the higher the dose, the more likelihood of reactions. And what I've always told myself, because I get the flu shot every year, is my arm may hurt. Or two days ago, I actually had a headache and I forgot why. And it's like, oh yeah, I got the flu shot. So those systemic body-wide reactions, you feel like you get the flu. I thought I got the flu shot, so I wouldn't feel this way. This is why I remind myself every year. That's a good thing to feel that way. Not everybody feels that way, but those who do, that's a good thing because that means your body is responding to the vaccine we just gave you. It means it's making antibodies. It means that it's doing what it wanted to do. So if you had these side effects for like up to like a 24, 48 hour period at most, realize it's like so celebrate it it's like oh yeah that's, that's actually a good thing i know i am responding to the vaccine but that doesn't mean if you do not have those reactions that you are not responding to the vaccine it just means you aren't feeling it you have a different tolerance level like my wife not bothered by it every year myself my daughter bothered by it every year so there is a, you know, a certain percentage of patients that will feel these body aches get a headache 
arm may hurt for a day or two, but realize and celebrate that because it actually means your body is responding the way we want it to. So tonight I'm receiving a COVID booster as well. Is there any concerns with receiving both of them at the same time? I guess, should I cancel one of them a few hours before? You're going to think I'm making this up, but on Monday I got my COVID bivalent vaccine booster and my flu shot at the same time. The only difference was one was in my left and the other was in my right arm. So they're just separated by arms only. So there's a lot of information out there that says you can get more than one vaccine at a time. It was a genuine question when the COVID vaccine came out and we were investigating it. But for lack of a better way of describing it, our immune system can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, it can handle more than one antigen, more than one virus at a time. That's how our, our immune system works. We're always being bombarded by different viruses, different bacteria, and our immune system is phenomenal and it can ad address all these different insults and assaults on, on our body. So getting the COVID vaccine and a flu vaccine or if you got your pneumococcal vaccine yet, your body can handle it because that's how we're made. The true difference is sometimes when patients get the COVID vaccine, they may feel like those, those flu-like symptoms for a day or two. And if you have those flu-like symptoms for a day or two and you get your flu shot and you feel like those flu-like symptoms for a day or two, they may compound each other. They may be no different than each other, but realize that it's safe. Your body will produce antibodies like it's supposed to, realizing that if you do feel like those aches and pains, it's a, it's a good thing. Again, celebrate it because your body can respond to that. For someone who has an ultra-immune system, as you said earlier, do they produce less antibodies when you get vaccinated of any kind? Yes. It takes our immune system to make antibodies, and that's why we give vaccines to tell the immune system to make antibodies. But for individuals who have a suppressed immune system through, you know, they may be like yourself, uh, post-transplant, uh, taking different medications to, you know, help protect you and your kidney that you just got. Uh, but that in and of itself can impact your immune system. So individuals like yourself or individuals who have a decreased immune system from, you know, transplant medications or certain other drugs like steroid medications may require higher doses of vaccines or more doses of vaccines to get the immune response that we want. Here's another perfect example. All dialysis patients need to be vaccinated against hepatitis B. And the general population who are not on dialysis, they require a typical dose just a couple shots. A dialysis patient requires double the dose, double the administrations. So instead of getting two shots, you're getting four shots. So we've just learned that certain patient populations need more doses, higher doses, or both. So when it comes to COVID, the general population, two doses of like an mRNA, like the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine is sufficient to get them, that's their completion of their primary series. Then they're eligible for the bivalent booster, you know, three months afterwards. For somebody who has like chronic kidney disease, like on dialysis or transplant, or is considered uh, immunocompromised, they require uh, three doses of the original formulation, and then they're eligible for the bivalent. So a perfect example where they need an additional dose of the original formulation.
I think this will be my third COVID booster at this point. But, you know, long as I'm protected, that's what matters. Exactly. I guess kind of going back to your study and, you know, what you found from that, where do you think we go from here to just help people understand the importance of getting vaccinated for the flu, not just once, but every year? So I think going forward right now, I'm interested in, is there an interaction with not necessarily flu vaccine and COVID vaccine, but flu vaccine in patients who had COVID? There is some concern that individuals like you may have heard like the long COVID uh, population, they may have an altered immune function, meaning do those patients, those individuals respond to the flu vaccine as well as those who never had COVID. So it's really trying to understand COVID um, and its impact on the immune system. I think another thing moving forward that we're trying to understand is realistically should high dose be the end all for our patient population or can they or is there you know a certain group like maybe if you're less than 65 is standard dose sufficient in the hemodialysis population there are two studies that are basically are conflicting uh, one study said yes you need to have be on high dose another study said it doesn't make a difference high dose or standard dose so with two conflicting studies i think the question still remains uh, which dose is best in the dialysis population. And but I think it's irrefutable, maybe I'm biased, but I think it's irrefutable whether or not patients should get a vaccine every year. And I think, yes, they should. It protects them, protects those around them. It's a good thing. So when I did dialysis, I did it all at home. So I did peritoneal dialysis. And you mentioned hemodialysis patients. Do you know if there's a difference between vaccination responses between the two different kinds of dialysis patients? Not that I'm aware of, of being any, having any differences in immune response in peritoneal versus hemodialysis. When we looked at our efficacy, our outcome study of is high dose better than standard dose, we did not see any difference in our peritoneal dialysis versus hemodialysis population in our outcome. As far as actual immune response, do peritoneal dialysis patients have a better rapport response than hemodialysis patients? I do not know of any study that compares the two populations. I wouldn't think so, um, but I, I haven't seen anything out there. I was curious to know if there's any further research on that benefits or whatnot. It's very helpful for me because I'm I'm like the patient that goes to my appointments with the hundred questions, and a lot of times it is about like ways to protect myself because you know it's it's hard as a young adult, and um, you know I, it's also new to me and it's it's difficult to navigate and it's presented a lot of very difficult you know, conversations between friends and family. So I really appreciate you taking your time to, to do this as well. As, as far as navigation, you know, you raise a very good point. You have a lot of uh, individuals in, in your community that can help as well. But pharmacists are readily available in the community. I know your, your physicians that you see regularly can be very busy. But think of it as like a, like a health community. So you have you know, the nurses at, at the clinics, the, the your physicians that you're working with, the pharmacists, you know, really working as a team. Because that really is, in my mind, the best of all worlds, where you get the best outcomes. Think about this, like, we're all trained differently. You know, physician, nurses, pharmacists, social workers, dietitians. And thank God that we are, because 
it's through collaboration, the patient wins because they get the best outcomes. Because we are trained differently, we think differently. Right. And if we're all thinking the same thing, clearly somebody's not thinking. So the more people you involve in your care, actually the better the outcomes that you personally will have. And on a side note, it doesn't mean we all have to get along either because we all care about the patients. We all want what's best for them. And we all provide education, but we all work together. Ultimately, the patient wins in that scenario. So so rely on your, your community pharmacists, rely on your the nurses that you know, the, you know, the physicians that you know, because ultimately that all this information that you get will help you make better choices and, and get the information and the education that you need to make the choices that you, you personally need to make because ultimately it impacts you. Um, uh, so I agree, especially after my transplant, I said it like it literally takes an army of specialists to help you get through that situation. Um, and I, I did my like whole my whole transplant process through the University of Kentucky. And it's actually really nice because they have a pharmacy team there and you they're like dedicated to transplant patients. So they call me every month and remind me to like reorder my medication. They ask me every month, you know, like, how am I doing with the medicines, which is like, it's really helpful for me. I was already used to taking a lot of medicines, but some people may not be. Um, and they helped me with some crazy insurance situations because those medications are expensive <laughs> and um, it, it's been really helpful. So I, I completely agree. It, it quite literally takes um, an army to get you through a, a kidney transplant or any major health issue. So. Medications only work uh, if people can have access to them and they can take them, they can tolerate them. So yes, it, it does take an army. With that in mind, you're the general too. The army is there to support you because it's, it's your journey that, that you have to travel. Yes. It's very important to advocate for yourself and make sure, make sure you're getting what you need as the patient. So I agree. And vaccinated. Yes. Right. Oh yeah. Definitely. <laughs> like, like my homework assignment from my doctor's appointment this week was to go get vaccinated. Cause I had like the three month mark. So I'm lucky there that my doctor, he he constantly reminds me that his children are the same age as me and like he knows what we're up to and everything. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like I'll go get vaccinated, I promise. So <laughs> don't forget pneumococcus, a pneumonia vaccine. I've gotten I think I've gotten two different strains of those. I got one at the dialysis clinic and then my primary doctor, um, who actually told me I wasn't kidney failure, um, he he gave me the, I think the first one. Is there two straight, two different ones? Actually, now there's four, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a race you can't, you, know, you can't keep up with. Um, right. So uh, it used to be like, you know, like a Prevnar 13, then Prevnar 23. Now there's, that's Numavax and there's a Numavax Prevnar 20. And there's another one that's also a 15 strain. So all these numbers, mm -hmm. pneumococcus and the pneumonia bacterium has many, many different um, components to it, if you will. So the Prevnar 13 impacts like 13 of the components. Prevnar 20 impacts 20 of the components. 23 impacts 23 of the components. So the number really indicates what components of the pneumococcus bacterium. That, so they realized that you need to have several different doses. It's an evolving science. They're still trying to figure out what's best for the present thinking is the Prevnar 13 plus a Pneumovax uh, 23, or 
maybe just the Prevnar 20 alone uh, may be sufficient. The guidelines were just updated in April of this year. And then whether or not to get a booster is another thing to consider depending upon somebody's age and how long they've had their last dose. So again, the CDC just updated their guidelines sometime in April of this year. Okay, that's good to know. I didn't know that. I just wrote that down because I'm going to ask my doctor about that when I see if I need, need some more um, shots. So The CDC has a great site. If you type in adult vaccination, it'll come up and there's a whole grid by vaccine, by disease state, or by age group. Um, what vaccines you should get and which ones. Um, so it's plain as day, and it, you share that with your provider if they are, don't already have it or have access to it. Um, but you can see which vaccines that you're eligible for. And when in doubt, I, I guess another I guess mantra is when in doubt, vaccinate. Um, so because it doesn't hurt to be vaccinated. It hurts if you don't. Yeah, I need to make sure I'm protected. So, no, that's good to know. I'm going to bring that to my next appointment and bother him about something else. So. <laughs> but, um, no, I really appreciate it, though, in all, in all sincerity. Like, this has been very helpful for me, and um, I'm sure it will be very helpful for everyone else who listens in. So, thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Great talking with you. Thank you for listening. Today's shout out goes to a seven-year-old PKD warrior, Marina, who is four years kidney strong. Marina is a fan of Disney's Encanto and her dad, who is also her living donor, recently compared her to the free-spirited character of Mirabelle. He said, the miracle is not some magic that you've got. The miracle is you. Keep up the magic, Marina. Thank you for listening. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts stitcher spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts you can also email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcast at kidney.org we hope you will join us next time and from all of us at nkf we wish you good health